Electronics are good when they work, but when they run out of batteries, they're out of batteries. <laughs> Just an announcement. We will have Elevate tonight at 6 o'clock. You want to be here? Be sure to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, who would be speaking tonight? Some guy. Oh, some guy. Some guy that <clears throat> needs a toupee is speaking tonight. <laughs> but come to Elevate at 6 o'clock. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. It's kind of a laid-back service, but we really feel the move of God on our Sunday night service. Is that right? Everybody say amen to that. So uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Welcome. Just uh, keep up with our Facebook page and our website, see what's going on. And in fact, if you look at our Facebook page, you get to see a bunch of people jumping in some cold water. And if that, you want to know what that's all about, ask Pastor after service. <laughs> Here's our. You ready for me to do this? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. You're beautiful, baby. <laughs> That's what old Evans would have said. If he weren't dead, he don't say it anymore because he kind of checked out. I need to make a couple of disclaimers, if you don't mind. First of all, I went to the quick care yesterday evening, and they gave me some medication that I've never taken before, and I think I'm having some adverse re- reactions to it. So if I start howling at the moon or crowing like a chicken or just just blame it on the medication. Second of all, every time I've ever been up here, I have tried to make the distinction between myself and a preacher and tell you that I'm a storyteller. And it turns out that I'm a storyteller. (laughs) Because I read in the book where The Bible tells us that we are a commissioned people. In fact, it's a big commission. They call it the Great Commission. And that commission says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, congratulations, you're a preacher. And I think that possibly includes me. And I'd like to tell you also, I'll give you a little uh, little update. My old partner, Kerry Johnston, I, I've been a little bit concerned about him because I think he was getting a little down. And being caged up as long as he has been will do that for you. It'll get you, it'll get you down. But uh, he escaped the house yesterday on a hover round and made the neighborhood... <laughs> He caught Vicky going to uh, play cards or something, and he flew the coop. And uh, I think he was gone longer than Bryce expected him to be because Bryce started to get, a, get worried about him. But he made the neighborhood on the hover round, and it did him some good to get outside. So just wanted to let you know about that. I want to share part of my testimony, but I'm coming at it from a different angle. Because uh, a lot of you have heard my testimony, and you're probably getting tired of it. But I'd like to center what I have to say to you today around one word. And that word is peace. And that one word is what led me to give my heart to Jesus. Is what got me there. I think one of the adverse reactions to that medicine, maybe it makes my nose itch. 
Uh, <clears throat> that one word, peace. I want to go into it a little bit, but I want to share my testimony with you. I pray that you'll forgive me for sitting, but I've got a problem with lower extremity, and uh, it's just better. I stagger like something that's it's better than I sit. The word peace. The King James Version says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The New Living Translation I like better says, then you will experience God's peace It gets to me, folks. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And it's that peace, that word peace, that brought me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The life that I lived up until I was 12 years old, I, know, I realize that's, that's young in, in anybody's uh, recollection, but whenever I was 12 years old, I came to realize that, Jesus, that, that I needed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I accepted him. But it took me a, kind of a, around by Lulu's house to get there. Whenever I was eight years old, that's, I can remember a little bit further back than that, but my mother was an alcoholic. And everybody that she had any interaction with, either socially or romantic, was alcoholic. And I tried to understand all that. I tried to to get my head around it, why my mother was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. When my mother was sober, she was the finest person you'd ever want to meet. She was kind. She was soft-spoken. She was very intelligent. When she was inebriated, drunk, which was by dark every day. She was loud and boisterous and stupid. She even got mean, and that was, that was totally out of my mother's character, to be mean. But that was the way she was. Uh, up until the middle part of the day, she was one person, and after she started drinking and it started to take hold of her, she was somebody else. But I remember eight years old, one of her suitors liked me, and most of the rest of them didn't. And one day, the one who did like me was at our house, and another one showed up. And the one who didn't like me wanted me to leave, 
And he was pretty insistent on that. And he started getting rough with me. And the one who did like me, who happened to be there also, came to my defense. He shoved me out of the room and into a little dark bedroom. And I sat behind a one and a half inch thick door in the dark, listening to a battle as these two guys tried to cave each other's heads in. On my behalf, one of them was on my behalf. I also remember, even though I was totally alone in this bedroom, and it was totally dark in there, I totally remember not feeling alone. I couldn't explain it. I mean, I know a lot of kids have imaginary friends, and they they use those those friends as a as a crutch to keep from feeling alone. But I, I remember not feeling alone as I as I sat there in the dark. I also remember being in a car going 100 miles per hour. And the man driving the car was slobbering drunk. And I remember being prompted to stand up in the back seat. And whenever he passed out and fell over in the seat, I leaned across the the, the back seat and grabbed the steering wheel and steered the car, kept the car in the road until it coasted to a stop. Or just before it coasted to a stop, I coasted it off in the ditch. Totally alone. Everybody else, my mother and this other, this dude that was in the car, were passed out. But I did not feel alone. I got out of the car. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I started walking. Had no idea where I was. Walked for a couple hours, I guess, and it started raining. So I found an old horse shed with some hay in it, and I snuggled up in the horse shed and the hay and went to sleep until the horse who lived there decided he wanted his breakfast and started nudging me to get up out of his, out of his groceries. So I got up and I started walking again by the time the rain had ended, but I still had no idea where I was until I heard the old lumber yard, I guess it was the lumber yard, IP lumber yard whistle for 7 o'clock to, for them to start to work. And whenever I heard that whistle, I knew where I was at. And I was able to make my way to my grandmother's house. The world that I lived in, peace was not a part of. I remember getting a call. I'd come to Spring Hill to spend time with some friends. And I got a phone call said, Mike, you better get to Atlanta. Your mama just blew Steve away. So I got a ride out to Atlanta, and I remember getting out of the car at the hospital, and I walked into that place with the weight of the world on my shoulders, but I didn't feel alone. I walked down the hall, And all of my stepdad's family was sitting there. 
And as I walked by them, I didn't know what to feel, ashamed, or I didn't know what to feel. So I just kept walking. And I walked down to the ICU, and he had just come out of surgery. And they let me in to see him, and he said, Michael, where's your mama? And I said, you don't need to worry about that right now. He said, I don't want her in jail. He said, I started this. I threw a lamp at her. So I left the hospital, and I went to the police station, to the county lockup. And they let me in to see my mama, and she was starting to sober up and realize what had happened. And the uh, Mr. Hyde was going away, and Dr. Jekyll was coming back. She was starting to realize. And that place, it was a early Saturday morning. All of the local drunks had been in and out of there, and there was every manner of anything that you could imagine on the floor and it smelled atrocious and I went and talked to the jailer and I said sir I just talked to my stepdad and he doesn't want to press any charges he said this uh, this whole thing started because of him and he said well this is the state of Texas they're going to they're gonna press charges for you uh, she's up for assault with a deadly weapon at the least or an attempted murder at, uh, at the other end. So she's going to be here a while. And the hardest thing I ever did in my life was walk away from that place and leave my mother in there. That's the world that I lived in. Now, my stepdad had some pretty serious shortcomings. And one of them was we would move to a town and he would run up as many credit accounts as he could and then run off and leave them. Whenever they would catch up with us, the bill collectors would catch up with us, we were gone again. And that went on for several years until pretty much everybody in North Louisiana and South Arkansas knew him and wouldn't give him any more credit, and everybody was after him. But he found out that Texas was a non-garnishment state and a non-reciprocity state. It means if you come across the line into Texas, Louisiana, all they can do is run to the state line and bark. They can't come across after you. They can't garnish your wages, and they can't file suit against you. So to Texas we went. And we landed in a tiny little town in Texas, population 462, not the entertainment capital of the world. And this tiny little town... It consisted of a little grocery store, a little convenience store out on the highway and First State Bank that got robbed the second Tuesday of every month. They couldn't afford a full-time constable. They had to hire a college kid named Ricky Starrett 
and let him drive his mama's Plymouth station wagon because they couldn't get him a car. And the bank got robbed at 2 o'clock because Ricky didn't get out of school until 3.30. And that, that gave him an hour, an hour and a half head start. Up in town, there was a town, <clears throat> was McCain's Grocery, Laundromat, and Used Furniture Store. There was a post office, which was also had a card table in the back which was the police station. And there was Salty's Place. Salty's Place was a gas station and a welding shop and a veterinarian clinic and a bootleg liquor store and anything else that Salty found out you had a dollar you were willing to spend, he'd, he would hang out a new shingle and go into business. He didn't have a license for any of that. But he could not stand the thought of you having a dollar you weren't willing to spend and him not being able to get it. That was that was the town. So pretty much if you came up with anything to do, you invented it. I mean any kind of entertainment. Well, up until this point, till before we moved to this little town, two or three months was the was the tops that we ever stayed any place. Well, little did I know when we moved to this town, we were going to be there for a massive three and a half years, and I got to make for real friends, which had never happened before. All I'd ever been able to make was acquaintances. <clears throat> so I had this little gang, little group that I hung out with. We thought we were bad boys, but the closest thing any of us ever came to getting in trouble was I got accused of shooting the windows out of a car with a BB gun, which they I was finally able to prove that I didn't do because the barrel on the BB gun was bent, and you couldn't shoot straight with it anyway, so... <laughs> But one day we were down at Sweetie's Pond. Now, you remember Salty I told you about from the gas station? Sweetie was his daddy. I don't know how they became known as Salty and Sweetie, but they did, and that's the only thing I ever knew them by. Now, Sweetie was the principal of the school. But I don't think anybody ever knew his name. Everybody just called him Sweetie. Even the kids, little kids, they'd call him Mr. Sweetie. And I'm, I'm sure he had a for real name, but nobody ever knew it. Well, we were down at Sweetie's Pond playing one day with a Frisbee. And somebody threw the Frisbee and it went above. There was, We had a racially diverse group. We had a couple of... Uh, Latinos, we called them Mexicans. We didn't know there was another term. And we had a couple of little black boys and a couple of little white boys. and We just, that was just our group. Well, somebody threw the Frisbee and it went over 
little black boy's little, little black boy's head. His name was Harry Lee. And Harry Lee went into the pond after it. Nobody knew Harry Lee couldn't swim. So Harry Lee didn't come back. And I went to his funeral. First funeral I'd ever been to. And as I walked up to the box and looked over in there, I had no idea what I was about to see. I mean, he had died a a tragic death, so I was expecting something terrible. But whenever I looked over in the box, he didn't look terrible. He had almost a smile on his face. And it kind of bewildered me. I didn't, I didn't know how to take that. Because I was expecting him to be laying there looking all frightful or uh, just terrible. But he didn't. I didn't know what the expression on his face was. But I went back and sat down and four black ladies stood across the front of the building And when they began to sing, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. I had chill bumps on top of chill bumps. I guess you'd call those grand chill bumps. But they sang, there is peace in Jesus. And oh, what a glory divine. Peace. That word just started echoing through my head. It was like a four-alarm blaze going off. Peace. That was the most beautiful word I'd ever heard. Because I had never known peace. It was the one thing that had escaped me through for, for all my, my 12 years I had roamed the earth. And I sit there intently as the preacher got up to preach. And when you're 12 years old, you've never been to church. You don't really understand what's being said a lot of times. I had heard of God, heard of him, but I did not make any kind of a correlation between him and Jesus. So I didn't really know what was being said when the preacher got up and he said, yes, Harry Lee has found peace whenever he surrendered his life to Jesus. I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that that there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So after this service was over, I started asking questions. I said, what did he mean by Harry Lee had found peace in Jesus? And the man was about as confused as I was. He, he, he tried to tell me. Uh, he said, you know, he found the religion. Well, I don't know what that means, found the religion. 
And he kept on mumbling. I kept on asking him. And finally he said, you know, boy, he got saved. Well, that kind of made sense to me because one of the boys that was in our group had gone to spend the summer with his, his, his uncle, who was a Baptist preacher. And while he was there in California with his uncle, he got saved. And when he came home, that's all he wanted to talk about. I didn't know what it meant, so I wasn't interested, and I would just shut him up. But now, that was the most important few words I had ever heard. I got saved. Because if that's what it takes to find this peace, then I want it. So I made me a beeline for Joe Howard. And I said, Joe, when you were in California and you came home, did you tell me that while you were there, you got saved? He said, yes, I sure did. And I said, well, I need you to tell me how it happened because I want to get saved too. And Joe was 10 years old. And not the, not the brightest light on the string. But he told me how it happened for him. He said, first of all, it has to be done by a licensed and ordained missionary Baptist minister. In a missionary Baptist church. Okay, gotcha. He said, now, now what happened is... He said, when you go to this church, this preacher, he'll be preaching, he'll get all down in the aisle. And he'll loosen up his tie and he'll get all red faced and start sweating and hollering, yelling. And then he starts giving the imitation. He said he'll start talking a lot quieter. And he'll start saying words like, salvation and getting saved. He'll, he'll be giving you an imitation to come get saved. He said salvation means the same thing. <clears throat> gotcha. So now all I have to do is find a missionary Baptist church and a licensed and ordained missionary Baptist minister to perform the ritual. Well, a few days later, we were coming back from Atlanta and not far outside the town that we lived in, four or five miles, was a little bitty building, a little white building, and a sign in front of it said, Pruitt Lake Missionary Baptist Church, Reverend Gary Bass, R-E-V Gary Bass, Pastor. So I found me a crayon and a grocery sack, and I wrote all that down on it. And when we got home, I went and found me a telephone book, and I started looking. Well, there's no Reverend Gary Bass listed in this book. There was something pretty close. It said, Bass, Gary Rev. 
We'll give it a whirl. And right now I'm shaking as I'm dialing the phone. Well, I get the phone dialed and it rings and the man answers. And I said, Bass Gary Rev? He said, well, this is Reverend Gary Bass. So yeah, you're the one I'm looking for. I said, are you a licensed and ordained missionary Baptist minister? He said, why, yes, I am. So I hung up on him. Because <clears throat> Joe had explained the situation to me. See, see you're kind of young, and if people find out you're ready to get involved in religion, they'll tell you you're too young for all that. Just wait a while till you understand. So now I had found the place where this ritual was going to be performed. And I had found the man who was going to perform it. All I had to do was figure out how to get there. Well, it was a long ways. Four or five miles. So I started doing some inquiring and found out that the people right down at the bottom of our big hill, right down past the school, were members of that church. But they were the weirdest people you ever met. This was in the 1970s, and they were, we were right in the middle of the CB radio craze. And everybody had a CB radio. And these people were certified CB nuts. If you called them on the telephone, they talked in CB. You, you call them on the phone, they say, 10-4, say, go ahead there. And they, you ask them, well, how's the, how's the other half and all the curtain climbers? You couldn't say the rest of the family, you had to put it in CB. How's the other half and all the curtain climbers? And if you, if you uh, uh, spoke to them and called them by their name, they wouldn't answer you. You had to use their CB handle. Well, I thought it was probably worth it, so I went down there, and they were all out in the yard burning leaves and taking care of the yard. And I walked up to the lady, and I said, Lady Blue Flasher? She said, 10 4. said, Go ahead there, Jughead. They called me Jughead. Hadn't figured it out yet. They finally gave up on that. Now they call me Butterball. <clears throat> I don't know why they call me that one either. So anyway, <clears throat> she said, 10 4. said, Go ahead there, Jughead. And I said, uh, don't y'all go to church at Pruitt Lake Missionary Baptist Church? She said, TN4. And I said, well, I was just wondering if, if I could go with y'all to church. She said, uh, 1010 there, Jughead. That meant stand by. So the lady blue flasher hollered at her husband, the blue flasher, and him and all the little flashers gathered around. Well, I was standing there pretending not to be listening, but I was trying to hear what she was saying. And then I heard her say in kind of an elevated voice, well, the least we can do is take the little heathen to church. 
Well, I froze in my tracks. I started replaying over in my head what I thought I had heard that woman call me. And then after a few minutes, I just swelled with pride. Because she had called me a heathen, and that just sounded religious. <laughs> you know, I'd heard them talk about the brethren. I figured the heathen bound to be up there with them. I'd walked into that yard and nobody, but I was walking out a heathen. She said, uh, 10 4 there, Jughead. Said, You can go. I said, But you be here early and don't you make us late. Yes, ma'am. Be here early, don't make us late. 5 30 Sunday morning. I topped the hill on my bicycle. Not a light on in the house. And I just knew they'd run off and left me. So I started down the big hill on my bicycle, never fathoming that when I got to the bottom and hit the grass and applied the braking mechanism on the bicycle, that I was going to gain about 47 miles an hour. I crashed inside their house. Bicycle spun, tore the screen off the window with a handlebar, hit the water hydrant outlet and tore the water hose off of it. Turned me a flip. I landed on my back out in the yard. And laid there till I could breathe again. And I got up and commenced whooping on the door. That house lit up like a young city. They come to the door and said, What is it, boy? What is it? I said, Am I late? They said, Late for what? They said, For church. I said, For church. They said, church don't start for four hours. Go home. I said, no, 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 no. Which car are you going in? They pointed and I went and got in it. They wasn't leaving without me. So I sat there in the car till it got daylight. And I started fumbling around with things in the car just to occupy the time. And I found this book that I finally figured out was a song book. It was called a Baptist Hymnal. H-Y-M-N-A-L Hymnal. So I, I figured out that was a songbook, and I figured if I'm going to be a good church-going heathen, I better at least learn to sing some of these songs. Well, I didn't recognize none of them. And certainly didn't know the tune to none of them, and I figured out that not a song in a Baptist hymnal sounds good to the tune of Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Don't try it, you won't dig it. So finally here they come out of the house. and First time I'd ever seen any of them, I went, I went to school with them boys. First time I'd ever seen any of them dressed up and Clint, who was my age, come walking up to the car and I said, whoa, Clint. What are you wearing? He said, it's a suit, stupid. I said, hey, you can't talk to me like that. I'm a heathen. He said, well, I'm one too. I said, how do you know? He said, my mama tells me all the time I'm a heathen. I said, well, she's the one that told me too, so I guess we're pretty, I'm pretty even standing there. So we went to church. And I sit there looking for all the little signs that 
Joe Howard said was going to happen so that I'd know when it was my turn to go get saved. Well, about a quarter till 12, when the preacher was just just starting to get cranked up good, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, we got to go. Daddy has to go to work. So we loaded up and I left. Didn't get saved. I said, when do we go back? And they said, well, we go back tonight, but you wait on us at your house, we'll pick you up. (laughs) So they picked me up and we got there and, well, they were having a business meeting. And they invited all the kids to get out of there and go to some other big room and play with blocks or something. So I didn't get saved. So I went back on Wednesday night and they had a missionary from Zim somewhere or Road Bobway or something. I don't know. I don't know where he was from, but I wasn't interested in what he had to say because he wasn't talking about me getting saved. So we went back again on Sunday morning and I don't remember exactly what happened but I still didn't get saved. So I went back on Sunday night and I decided in my heart, I purposed in my heart, if daddy has to go to work or mama has a migraine or whatever, I'll walk back home, but I'm going to see this out. I'm going to stay there. So I was sitting on the outside row, or it was the inside row with the outside seat. And everything was falling into place perfectly. The preacher had come down the aisle yelling and screaming and done turned red in the face and started sweating. Then he loosened his tie. I guess I might have jumped the gun a little bit. Forgive me about this nose thing. That medicine, I guess, is making my nose itch. but this preacher had not quite gotten to the imitation part yet but he was saying the right words he was saying getting saved and salvation and things like that and and I had been cheated three or four times on this opportunity to get saved so I wasn't about to miss it this time Well, he'd already made his way down the aisle and started back. He was dragging a microphone cord, and he got to the back to the front, and he'd started back this way. And my eyes were flooded with tears and burning like wildfire. And I stepped out in that aisle, and I made about three or four steps and got tangled up in his microphone cord. Why is it that when you see you're going to fall, you don't just fall? You have to fight it. I don't know if it's, it's something that's, that's built into us or what, but you have to fight it. If I had just fallen, just boom, then he would have just looked at me like I was from another planet and probably stepped over me and went on by his business. But of course I fought it. I was flailing and 
Well, he was close enough that as I was flailing, I grabbed him by the pants pockets. He had a Bible in one hand and a microphone in the other, so he was helpless as I drug his pants to his knees. All he could think to do is go to his knees too to keep his boxers from coming coming down too. And as he was there on his knees, I looked up at him and there was fury in his face. This man was not happy. Any. But I said, I do, sir. He said, you do what, boy? I said, I do want to get saved. And as I stared into his face, I saw his countenance change. And the fury turned to compassion. And it wasn't long till his eyes had welled up with tears too. He started to get up and a couple of guys gathered around him to help him get his clothes back on. And then we went to the front of the building and down on our knees we went again. This time, voluntarily. And as I, as I stood there, or, or as I knelt there, He was beside me, knelt with his arm around me. And he was talking, but he wasn't talking to me. And he kept saying, Father and God. And I wasn't real sure who he was talking to, but I knew he wasn't talking to me. And then he leaned in really close. And he started talking to me and wanted me to repeat the words that he was saying. As I started to repeat the words he was saying, it registered with me what I was doing. I was about to turn over control of my life to somebody I did not even know. But it just felt like the right thing to do. On my knees, asking a stranger, this man named God, to come into my life And take over, take control. And as I started repeating those words, the Spirit of the Almighty God started to flow into my heart. And then I really lost it because I realized suddenly. 
that this was not a stranger. Those times in that room with the battle raging on the other side of the door, in that car speeding 100 miles per hour, walking down the hall at the hospital, going in to talk to my stepdad, and leaving my mama in that jail. This is why I didn't feel alone. This was no stranger. This was someone I had known all my life. I just, or had known me. He had known me all of my life. This God, this man named God, who I had, I was in the process of turning my whole existence over to, I realized suddenly this man had had my back, had his hand on me before I ever even knew who he was. Not a stranger at all. Then after you get involved here and you start to realize that start to realize who you had gotten involved with. You realize that this, this man God, that they, they, they call God, has a counterpart that they call Jesus. And you realize that this person, this, this being, this spirit, is the Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's who this God is. Though I make my bed in hell, thou art with me. That's who this God is. Bible tells us that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want but if there was ever anything that could instill peace in someone that ought to be of what does it how many times have you gotten into a situation where you found yourself lacking needing help and didn't know who to ask Bible says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want it says he makes us lie down in green pastures if you if you close your eyes and have somebody read that or you listen the thought of lying down in green pastures there is no more peaceful thought that can come through your mind I remember when I was a kid, my granddad would sit at the kitchen table and look out the window as he drank his coffee. And he invariably, every time, would overfill his cup 
And he would sit there drinking from the saucer because his cup has overflowed. The Bible says, my cup runneth over. That's the story of my life. When people look at me, I don't, I don't know what you see. Some big fat guy that has got numerous health problems. And, but I know what God sees. And it says, my cup runneth over and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the, the house of the Lord forever. And my granddad would sit there drinking from the saucer because his cup had overflowed. That's, that's me. got problems folks but I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed my prayer is that everybody here in this place knows the peace of God has that peace of God And back again to Philippians 4, 7. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds all understanding. How else can you say it? I mean, God's peace, God gives us peace. In situations where there certainly should not be peace. But there is. The peace of God exceeds all understanding. I have never been a good finisher. I guess that's why I've never really considered myself to be a preacher. <clears throat> I guess I ought to give an altar call and pass an offering plate. But my prayer is that everybody in this place and everybody you come in contact with is able to find the peace able to accept that peace that God has to offer. Peace is such a wonderful word. Peace has two definitions. One of them is the lack of war. And I hope I've got the other one written down because I just... I have... Uh,
Freedom from disturbance. Freedom from disturbance. Tranquility and calm. That's what I wish for you. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for me. And I'm not going to ramble. I'm finished. But we can drag through the rest of it, some more of it if you want to. I mean, we can go through two or, two or three times. But I don't see any need in it. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Amen. I'm through. I want to do something real quick, and Clayton, if you'll back me up on the guitar here. Um, if you're if you're here, and you're living a life that's not free of uh, turmoil, and you say, "Man, I need that peace in my life. I need that peace in my heart." You know, there's chaos in your family. Uh, it seems like no matter where you turn, something's going wrong. Something is messing up. Um, we know the Prince of Peace, you know, and we know a Redeemer that can redeem us from those kind of conflicts. And so, uh, if, if you'd stand with me today, I want to pray with you. And if you're in here, if, you, if you're here, and you'd say, Pastor, I need to know that peacemaker. I need to know that Prince of Peace. I want to pray with you. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I want to know how to walk closer with the Prince of Peace. I want to pray with you. And I think that we all fall into one of those two categories. Because if you don't know Jesus, I'd love for you to. And if you do know him, I'd love for you to walk closer with him. I think we can all do that. And so I want us all to pray together right now. And uh, I'm just going to lead. You can pray. You can pray your own prayer. Um, if you pray to yourself, that's fine. If you want to pray out loud, that, that's great. But let's just pray together as a family of believers.